This is a Willits Point Shea Stadium bound 7 express train. The next and last stop is Willits Point Shea Stadium. Subway to Shea podcast, Anthony Rivera, here with you, talking about all the news and happenings surrounding that team from Queens, the New York Mets. Episode 64 is upon us. Get excited, Met fans. If you could tell by the sound of my voice, I'm excited. So you should be excited too, because the Mets keep on winning. They swept the Philadelphia Phillies, they swept the Washington Nationals, and they had a perfect homestand. 6-0, six-game winning streak, a double-digit lead in the standings on all the NLE's teams. That's right, the Braves, the Phillies, the Marlins, and the Washington Nationals, and it's only June Hopefully it gets even better. The Mets are taking care of business against the teams that they should be because a huge test is coming up. The dreaded West Coast trip. They got the Dodgers. They got the Padres. And they got those Angels in Anaheim. Hey, the Mets can do it. I believe in them. You believe in them. Hey, you gotta believe, right? Let's get this Mets team on another stratosphere, top in the NL East. Hopefully they'll be top in the National League when all is said and done and on their path to October. Like I said earlier, Mets fans, get excited, stay excited, not only for this team, but for this podcast, because I have a very special guest coming on right now, and that is Dan Abrams. You've seen his work all over social media, definitely one of my favorite people on social media. Hey, you may have even bought some of his t-shirts. He's a sports illustrator, and you know him best as athlete logos on all of social media. Dan, welcome to the Subway to Shape podcast. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing great. Thanks very much for having me, Anthony. Well, let's get right into it. I love your work and I do my very best to retweet and repost on my social media pages whenever I can. I got to ask you, what gave you the passion to pursue this type of media? I appreciate it. You know, it's funny because you were probably the only one who reposted on LinkedIn. <laughs> so, I, you know, over the years, I started with just Instagram and Twitter and then I ended up doing LinkedIn, which is great uh, for professional reasons. But it's funny that that's the only you're the only repost I get there. But uh, so my history is I had a 13 year career in corporate graphic design doing boxes and user manuals. It was a cell phone company. So, you know, manual for a cell phone, which was half in English and half in Spanish. And it was just it was a good career but it was not um, anything I really enjoyed. So I started Athlete Logos as a passion project, not thinking of it ever becoming a career, just to have the intersection of what I do in graphic design and what I love with the Mets at first and then sports. And also the reason I named it Athlete Logos was I believed, now this is uh, seven or eight years ago, I believed that athletes weren't using their brands well enough and that they that in the future they would leverage their popularity to have their own brand and lucky for me i was right and it, uh, i would say baseball is the slowest sport to adapt to it but in every sport now more it's much more common for athletes to have their own logo 
and then their own brand and their own apparel. So that's how it started. And lucky for me, it's become my full-time career now. Now, I've only been on Twitter for two years or so. What was the first Mets graphic that really took off for you that made you say, you know, I want to do this for a living? Well, it's funny. The first one I did that gained traction was a Matt Harvey MH logo that looked like Batman. And at the time, I actually sold it to the Seven Line, and they made shirts out of it. And even, I would say, for three, maybe three or four years, I never considered it to, that I would make it my business. I started to do some paid work after two or three years, and I thought, ah, you know, it's a good little passion project. I can make a little side money. But I wasn't, uh, I, w- I really didn't consider it to be something that was going to be a career until uh, I was laid off from my job. And at that point, I made a decision. I have two choices, either get another job, career in corporate, or try to push and uh, do this full time. And that's what I did. And it happened to work out. I'm very blessed that it did. You know, Shea Stadium has a huge place in my heart. It's a part of the name of this podcast. It was a dump, but it was our dump. Anytime I'm asked about how I got into being a Mets fan, I always tell them about passing Shea Stadium at night and seeing those bright neon lights. It wasn't even going to a Mets game. I was still far too young. I, I, I really wasn't focusing on baseball at the time, but those neon lights always drew me in, and I love them so much. And that's why I have such an emotional connection to your neon light graphics. You've done such a great job on those. Tell us more about what you officially call now the NYM Neon Project. So, you know, it's funny because I have that same feeling and I've learned over the years how many people of, I don't know, between 30 and 50 years old have that same emotional feeling about them. And, you know, as a kid, they were larger than life, whether I was coming to or leaving the stadium, seeing them was just was always a highlight of going to Shea. So I had probably been two years into my Instagram page when I did a a Cespedes bat flip in the neon style. And I, when I did it, I, you know, at that point I was getting 30, 40 likes on things and I got like 108 or something like that. So I said, all right, I'm not the, maybe I'm not the only one who uh, loved those. And I said, you know, I'm going to start doing more of them. So then I did uh, the Wilmer Flores uh, pulling on his Jersey, Jesse Orozco, Gary Carter, Andy Chavez. And that was in the off season. So when the season started, I said, I'm going to start doing them for every win. It was actually inspired by Joey Paints, who was a great watercolor uh, Mets fan artist. And he he actually designed the 86 uh, pinstripe uniform as well. But I was inspired by what he does is after every win, he does a watercolor painting. So I said, after every win, I'll do a neon. So I was doing them for about six weeks and Barstool Sport came out with a big, sexy neon shirt. And it looked exactly like my style. It wasn't my design. I can't say they stole my design, but they had seen that people liked it and they made a shirt and they made another one, an LGM that was neon. And, you know, in my opinion, you cannot trademark a style. I can't trade mark something neon because there's neon everywhere Mm -hmm. but my my goal was to become known as the guy who designs Mets neons so that if if someone tried to do that again which I think now I've become known that that way if they did that now I think people would be all over them that's not cool this you know obviously legally I'd have no recourse but I think the internet is undefeated in situations (laughs) like that so at that point I decided I'm not stopping and for the last six plus seasons, I've done a neon for every win and even in some losses if it was a good enough play. I love the fact that you're doing these, but more than that, you're making them more like uh, motion graphics. You, you, you kind of have like a little video for some of them of, of you know, like the Pete Alonzo uh, throwing his helmet like a basketball, you know, the the bat flip, some some plays. 
I always find it cool how you're able to make them move the way they do and, and make them, you know, stationary like we've seen at Shea Stadium. I always find that amazing. And yeah, I saw you send out a tweet to Steve Cohen with a graphic of what the neon lights would look like at City Field. I know I, along with a lot of fans of your work, retweeted that and tagged Steve Cohen. Has there been any kind of traction on that with the Mets at all? Well, I would say this. Uh, I had gone to the game that night before with a friend of mine, and I stopped when we got to the top of the rotunda, and I said, see that spot? I'm going to take a picture of it blank, because that's where I think the neons would go. And I said to him, but, uh, you know, I'm probably not going to post it. I don't want to be annoying. I, you know, I know I have a good enough following on Twitter that it's going to get a couple of retweets, and I don't want to bother Steve. And uh, my friend said, no, no, you got to do it, bro. It's a great idea. you got to do it. So the next day, I put it up. And to be honest, I know, I like I said, I have a feeling for how many retweets I'll get. So I figured I'd get 50 retweets, and, you know, some people would tag him and be like, this is really cool. But it got almost 600 retweets. And then on Instagram, it did really well, and people started tagging Mrs. Cohen on Instagram and sending me DMs that they DM'd it to her. And I was overwhelmed. I, I really could not believe how big it got. So since then, now I was just, last week I was interviewed by New York Magazine for an article about the same thing where they were curious, do they think it's possible? So, you know, obviously I haven't heard anything from the Mets directly. So I don't, uh, in my mind, it's hard for me to really believe it might happen because if I start to think that way, I'll be really let down if it doesn't. So I'm just kind of, hedging my bets and thinking it's probably not going to happen. But if there's one thing I'll say for Mr. Cohen is that he cares what the fans think. I mean, he brought back old timers day and the black jerseys and uh, so many other things. I mean, they have the original Shea neons now in the locker room and on the ribbon boards, you know, on the scoreboards, they they're using those original ones. So, you know, I, I don't know what his real, uh, what he does in terms of Twitter, if he really goes on there a lot, if he just puts up a tweet, if there's someone monitoring how many tags he gets, I don't know. I, I'm hoping that it's possible, but I really, uh, like, I, I, I just can't, I can't imagine that it's actually going to happen because it would be, my head would explode. Well, you mentioned the article from New York Magazine, and I read it, great article, I reposted it on my Twitter um, I'm also going to have a link to that on this episode of the podcast. So anyone who hasn't read it yet that wants to read it, make sure you go into my description. That link will be there. I think the thing that uh, most importantly to me that I love about this idea is the scale of the size and where you want to put it so that fans, it's like an attraction that fans can go and take pictures with. I know when you went to Shea Stadium, obviously it's gigantic, huge, and you're really not going to get a great picture out of that. But the way you have that set up at City Field, I think is perfect. And I would love to, you know, go to each one of whichever one they would decide to put out there, take pictures next to them. Obviously, people would be great putting that on Instagram and all that stuff. So I really hope that this comes to fruition and I will keep pushing and plugging it. And I hope all you Met fans out there listening do the same as well, the NYM Neon Project. Let's get this out there at City Field because when City Field first opened up, it didn't really feel like home. Obviously, you know, they had to honor Jackie Robinson. I, I, I got that whole thing. That doesn't even bother me at all. I know some fans, it bothers, but the whole Jackie Robinson rotunda is great. But when you look at City Field and, and the way the Wilpons went about it, a lot of it was about going back to Ebbets Field and, and Wilpons' love for the Brooklyn Dodgers at this time. And, and nothing really felt home for us. Met fans who, who've watched the team and been to Shea Stadium all that time. And to bring these lights, I think, would just add that element, just a nice little touch 
to what City Field is now and, and the evolution and to our history of uh, being Met fans. No, I agree. And, you know, there's two things about that. First of all, the fact that it's even that you and I are even talking about this or that the magazine has to interview me. The fact that there's even any a conversation about this happening is all because so many people have that feeling about, that you and I have about the Neons and are so passionate about it. And the thing about City Field, like you mentioned, I said I call it the Instagramification of the world. Every influencer now, everyone who goes to a game wants somewhere to take a picture. And, you know, I'm glad we have the statue. I'm very grateful they got that Seaver statue. And the home run apple is always great. But once you get in the stadium, you know, there's not that many places that you could do that. And if it's a six-foot sign, and one of the best suggestions I heard on the Twitter thread was someone said they should put them where they happened. So Andy Chavez would be in left field, and Mookie Wilson would be by first base and Gary Carter would be by home plate. And if you walk around City Field, it's the most beautiful, open concept in the world. But there are some dark areas where a neon sign would really be, you know, I I think of the original neons the way you do, what I, I remember going there as a kid, and I envision someone who goes with their parents now in the left field part of the stadium imagine andy was there and then when they're older they'd say i remember going with my, my mom and dad and we would see the andy neon and i just think that it's it, it's the perfect idea for the way the stadium is set up and the stadium is they're making it more mets i agree they painted the outfield wall blue with the orange stripe they they you know i've been to um, citizens bank in philadelphia and the architecture the brick and the steel it's just very very similar nothing would tell it apart but the, you know if they had blue seats that would make it you know, very much more like Shea and much more like home. So I think this is something that is scalable. It's pretty easy to do, relatively speaking. But again, I, you know, the re realistically speaking, I don't know if it would happen, but I think I I'll say this. I had about uh, 3,000 on Twitter, 3,000 likes and uh, 500 comments and two negative comments. I had about 99.9% .9 people absolutely love the idea. And there's very few things on the internet that are unanimous like that. Yeah, and you just, like like we've all been doing, you just got to keep, keep tagging Steve Cohen, let him know on Instagram. Um, you know, Mrs. Cohen, uh, Tia Alex is on there. So let them know this is something that we'd like to see at City Field for so long. It was just, you know, this Shea Bridge, and we got to see maybe that little. I think they moved it where the Shake Shack is, is the, yeah, um, the top the, the, of the, the, top of the scoreboard, which yes. is uh, they, they can never get rid of that. And, and that's a perfect area, too. Uh, for so long, it was just really those two things. The the stadium was kind of just dark and 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 boring, and it yeah, really you know, didn't like get said, that both feel. Both of those nods, both of those nods to Shea are too large to be photo ops. Yep. I mean, they're great. I love the Shea Bridge, but it's above your head. I've taken pictures there. It's very hard to get a good picture there. And the other one, it says Shake Shack underneath, and there's a, <laughs> I try to get a picture of it, and there's a guy making my burger. I mean, yeah, it's a, I love that because I remember as a kid on top of the scoreboard. I was so glad they brought that. But like you said, it's just not a good photo op. All right, we got to get into this Mets team. Um, I talked about it a little earlier on the show before you got on. So I want to know your thoughts on what happened this perfect homestand. What were you thinking going through this weekend against the Phillies, against the Nationals? We haven't seen this Mets team like this in a very long time. I'm not even including 2015 because it, 2015 was really that second half 
post um, Cespedes. Cespedes, 2006 is where this Mets team really dominated all year. It didn't end up in a World Series. We had the heartbreak in the playoffs, but I'm kind of thinking about during the season, this is what this kind of team is reminding me of. Absolutely. I mean, really, they're built to win, and my, you know, my DNA for 30-plus years was things are going to go wrong. It's the Wilpons. There's... There was just the Joe Beningo that built uh, the stadium on uh, cursed land. And, you know, I believe that for a long time, but I really, people may think that I'm uh, just kissing ass on Twitter when it comes to Steve Cohen, but I really believe that his influence on the team has changed that. And I have faith that even if they have, even if they should fall short anytime, he's going for the best free agent next year. He's going for the best guy at the trade deadline this year. He's never going to cheap out. And I think this past off season, they made a conscious decision to, you know, they called it a culture change. They didn't retain a few guys who they had, and they got some high-character guys in here. And uh, the roster is built to win in terms of the players they have, but they also have these professionals, Eduardo Escobar and Canna. And I think Scherzer is an absolute game-changer in the dugout. I don't think – I've been on a lot of teams in my life, and when you have a guy like him, first of all, who's that good, but second of all, who holds people to such a high standard, and then you also have Showalter, I think they're a much more no-nonsense team than last year. There's not going to be any thumbs down. There's not going to be any, you know, bad interactions with the fans. These guys are going there like professionals. They're expecting to win, and I just – I remember the 86 Mets always saying, you know, they expected to win every game, and that's how I feel as a fan with this team, and they still don't have DeGrom, and they haven't had Scherzer for a few weeks. So, you know, my memory – my biggest thing that I keep telling my friends is that Kurt Schilling and Randy Johnson won a World Series with a below average team because the two of them were so good in the playoffs. So if Max Scherzer and Jacob deGrom are healthy and they now have best or second best offense in the National League. I see no reason why they cannot make a deep run. You mentioned Steve Cohen and I'm glad you brought him up because I, I know when he, he kind of really buying this team inspired me to go and do this podcast because I don't know what I would do if the Will Ponds were doing this. I, I don't know if I could complain so much on a yeah. podcast. But Wouldn't be a healthy experience. Yeah, Steve really changed things. And I know it didn't start off that way because obviously when you buy something so big and you have all these pieces in place, you got to go through that evaluation phase. And I feel like that's what happened last year. He wanted to evaluate what was going on with the team. And if they were, if they succeeded, great. But if not, he knew what he had to do, move around pieces. And that's exactly what he did. He changed out players. He brought in Buck Showalter, who was very important. He brought in Billy Epler, which the Mets kind of really fell on with Billy Epler. Might be a, a great move looking back now with all the people that were saying no and weren't allowed to talk to. Billy Epler might be a, a huge move moving forward. But, you know, bringing in Buck Showalter, bringing in a guy like Joey Cora at third, which really has changed the dynamic from a Gary D. Sarcina where they're going to be more aggressive. He's very aware of what's going on around the entire field. And this is why they're scoring so many runs and, and getting two out base hits. They're doing all these things. And not only that, but every Met seems to be stepping up, like you mentioned. They're withstanding injuries and negativity. And it's been kind of that next man up, or as I like to say, next Met up. So do you agree with, with all that? 
Absolutely, and I also think that they made a conscious effort. I think when they lost the World Series to the Royals, they, that Royals team was built to beat the Mets because they ran around the bases like maniacs. They made them throw the ball. They put the ball in play, and the Mets were, you know, the Mets before this year were, uh, before Eric Chavez, which I think is a huge change, were uh, let's swing for the fences and uh, draw walks and hit home runs. And now they hit ground with the, they, I always, Gary Cohen mentions it almost every game, they lead the league in uh, infield hits. They put the ball in play. Like you said, Joey Cora is sending everyone. And I think, like I said, the Royals beat them because of that. And I think it's a formula for success. Put pressure on the defense, especially the Phillies. But every team put pressure on the, make the guy in right field, make a perfect throw, make the infielder turn two. And, you know, a lot of good things are coming from that. I really think, I don't know if Sandy ever uh, was the one who said it or if it's just an organizational shift. But I think the change from uh, waiting for the three-run homer to putting the ball in play and, you know, McNeil's back to his old style. I think that is the biggest change in the team's offense, and that's both personnel and approach. Yeah, they never put pressure in 2020, in 2021. Everything was going for the home run, and I'm so glad that you brought up the Royals because even more than the 2006 New York Mets, I think of this team like the Kansas City Royals of 2015. They were pests. They messed up the Mets so much. That World Series was not as close as it could have been, and it was because that offense, Every out, every pitch was in it, whether they were down 9-3 to in that game, uh, you know, that game that the Mets won. They were never out of that game, and that's the feeling you get with this Mets team, and it's a great feeling, and I hope it continues all the way into October, and it would be nice to, you know, cement this team and, and to get Buck Showalter, who I really enjoy um, hearing in the post-game press conferences. He never gives too much away. He gives away just enough, and he knows how to work work the media but he's been great and this whole new look Mets has been just a joy to watch and I hope it really continues once again I'm here with Dan Abrams you've seen his work you follow his work and you've bought his work he is better known as athlete logos now Dan Pete Alonzo he's tearing it up we're hearing the chants we're starting to hear the talk MVP MVP Pete, is it time to start talking about Pete Alonso as a possible MVP candidate? Uh, as a Met fan, I would say yes. I'm emotional. I love Pete, especially he's. Uh, and on the on a side note, just as a person, he's been so nice to me since he take since he was brought up, and uh, he's just a great. He really is a great guy, and his family. They're all such nice people. But the only thing I will say, I obviously, if he can keep this up, and I believe he can keep this up, he could be the MVP. There's no reason to think he can't. But I've just seen too many baseball seasons where someone in June looks, you know, Degrom was going to end the world last year. He was going to end every baseball pitcher's record in the history of baseball, and then he didn't win the Cy Young. So, like, I would love to put out an MVP shirt, but it's just not time. So <laughs> I try to stay in the moment as much as I can with the team and just as a fan in general. I, I, I do believe that he, his talent and now his approach, and Keith Hernandez always talks about the way he's rounded into a better overall hitter. I do believe he has the ability, and maybe he doesn't win the MVP this year, maybe he wins it another year. But I just... Uh, uh, I, like I said, I try not to get ahead of myself with stuff like that because it is still the first week of June. You know, what I've loved from Pete so far this season, he's not only hitting for power, but he's hitting the ball the other way. Kind of reminds me of Mike Piazza a little bit. If you look at his stats so far, 
this season. 13 home runs, 47 RBIs. He's batting 284. The last 30 days, he had an amazing May batting 309, 30 RBIs, 9 home runs. He is on a wicked pace <laughs> to continue this. And obviously, if he stays healthy, so I hope that he continues his. Not only is Pete hitting well, but Francisco Lindor has been out of this world. I know you put out a t-shirt, the Lindor Redemption Tour. Made some history this week. Only the second Met to have a 10-game RBI streak. Only Met to do that was Mike Piazza. He did it twice, 15 games and 10 games. In that stretch, Lindor has had 20 RBIs. I've always believed that he would snap out of his funk and deliver like he did most of April. What do you say from what you've seen from Lindor so far? Well, I would say... I really believe this last year that Piazza struggled when he first came here. Beltron's first year after the contract was not that good. And I, you know, guys that care, and I think Lindor really cares a lot. People think that he's nonchalant and that he, you know, doesn't care. But I think he, because of how much he cares, he put way too much pressure on himself last year. And I think this year, the team being good and having Buck is a huge uh, advantage for him. But I think he's much more comfortable. He, now that he, you know, he had a little bit of a, he had a good start to the season. He had a couple of weeks where he wasn't doing much and now he's hot again. And, you know, most hitters are streaky to some degree. But I think overall, he just, I don't think he's as worried about big contracts first year or the fans are on him about this or that you know last year they had the thumb down because they were getting booed i just think that he's ready to exactly like beltron i think he's going to have another six seven tremendous years as a met he's going to go down as a beloved met hopefully with multiple rings and hopefully he's in the hall of fame at some point but i you know again i'll go back to keith Hernandez. he always says about guys check the back of his baseball card he has a track record so he's a great baseball player he's done it for long enough that i knew he would come around and i'm I'm really happy to see him playing to the level that he's capable of right now. And you look at his last 15 games, he's batting 333, last seven games, 370, brought his average all the way up to 261, eight home runs, 43 RBIs. You know, he's a very polarizing figure on this team. You mentioned Carlos Beltran, kind of the same, kind of the same way. People either loved Carlos Beltran or they just didn't like him at all. And a lot of people keep talking about the contract. And you compare him to other shortstops who got big contracts this season. And he's doing extremely better than Javi Baez is doing in Detroit. Uh, Corey Seager and uh, Marcus Simeon in Texas. Uh, Carlos Correa in Minnesota. Story in Boston. I think he's the best of the bunch right now. And those guys were all going to be free agents and go for the big money. Absolutely. And, you know, the funny thing about that is all the other guys you mentioned are in the first year of a big deal. And that's a lot of pressure. I remember Keith said it when he first came here. So he's in the second year of his deal and he's more comfortable and he's also on a very good team right now, which helps him. But I personally never, I don't get the whole, uh, he gets paid this much. So I I don't look at it that way. It's not my money. I don't, (laughs) I don't really care how much he gets paid. You know, I remember when they were negotiating him and Cohen and, you know, Cohen probably could have uh, not caved the day before the, uh, you know, quote unquote dead line he would have had to play last year as a lame duck and who knows how much he would have gotten this year but like i said i don't to me it's not a concern to me how much he makes i like i said i know I remember him on the Indians. I know what a talent he is, what a good player he is. I don't care if he's getting paid $10 million or if he's getting paid $100 million. It makes no difference to me. I'm just happy for him that he's producing because he is a star, and this is a city that loves stars, and I have a feeling that at the end of his career, people are going to love, they're going to remember him very fondly for what he did. Well, Dan, that's a great place uh, to wrap this up. I can't thank you enough for coming on. It was great having you. Let everyone know what you're working on next, where they can follow you on social media, and uh, buy your merch. Well, you can follow me on at 
athlete logos on everything that's a you know linkedin and twitter and even, i'm even trying tiktok now which is brutal but uh, <laughs> that is my tag i you know i have a link in my bio and all those to the shirts i'm currently working on getting the actual neon signs made so I, people can have neon signs for their podcasts and bars and man caves etc and uh you know this season's going a mile a minute for me and for the team so i'm really enjoying the ride and i appreciate you having me on and i will be making your neon subway to shea logo for sure oh i can't thank you enough for that i'm gonna put all the links the twitter uh where they could get your shirts at breaking tees and uh the article that i mentioned earlier all that will be in the description of this podcast once it's uploaded dan thanks again and i hope that you can come on again we can talk more mets we'll talk more logos and uh let's get this nym neon project let's get that up and running and let's get that at city field thank you so much dan i appreciate it thank you anthony i appreciate the time that was dan abrams you've seen his work you follow his work and you've bought his work he's better known as athlete logos follow him on Twitter, a great follow, a great person, a good friend to the show. And like I said before, right before I hung up with him, all the links that we've talked about, his Twitter, where you could get his t-shirts, the link to his article will all be on the description of this podcast. Please make sure to check all of that out if you haven't done already. Now, my final notes before this train leaves the station, Nick Plummer came up this weekend, back up Dom Smith got sent down, and that's because of the way Nick Plummer has been playing. He's got off to a good start this weekend. He had a big game-tying home run in the ninth inning against the Phillies on Sunday. He had another home run the next game against the Nationals and a couple of hits there. Right now batting 444, two home runs, five RBIs. He's earned his spot to stay on the roster and probably the reason why Dom Smith had to get sent down. The Mets needed more pitching. Dom Smith has not been playing well this season, batting 186, no home runs. I'm surprised. I thought he would be hitting home runs. He hit for power in 2020, a little bit in 2021, but not much. He hasn't hit a home run since, I think, the middle of 2021 season. Only had 14 RBIs. It's been such a struggle for Dom Smith, and if the guys aren't producing, you have to make the move and maybe he could get jump started down in the minors at AAA maybe he can get himself back up here but the Mets like they did with Robinson Cano they had to make the baseball move and they did just that by sending down Don Smith and keeping Nick Plummer up here and obviously Nick Plummer didn't come up here because of Dom Smith but he came up here after the injury to Travis Jankowski who's going to be out for a while and hopefully Nick can fill the that role until he returns and who knows maybe he'll stay on the team maybe this is it for Nick Plummer and you gotta love his walk-up song his home run song which is the Super Mario video game if you're a gamer like I am you gotta love it and it's great to see Nick Plummer doing well all these Mets you want to see do well even Dom Smith you know some people whether they love or hate Dom Smith, love or hate Francisco Lindor, even if you're going to be critical of these players, which I could be critical from time to time, there's no point in time where I don't want to see these guys succeed. I want Dom Smith to succeed. I want him to play well. But he's going to have to now go down to AAA and find his bat, get it back, if he wants to stay on this team. Because until then, you there's no justification to send down players who are hitting well. And even now, J.D. Davis, who I've been very critical of, J.D. Davis 
has turned it around a little bit. Had a couple hits the other night, a couple hits before that. You know, the Mets are going on a huge road trip to the West Coast, and they're really going to have to heat it up offensively. They've been doing well against the teams that they should be beating, but they really need to turn it up once they go play in the West Coast. Also, this Tuesday that passed, Mets honored Johan Santana on the 10-year anniversary of his no-hitter. They did it before the game against the Nationals. Josh Tolley, his catcher, and former manager Terry Collins were both there. The ceremonial first pitch, how awesome was this? Thrown out by Johan Santana's son too? Josh Tolley's son. I still remember where I was when this all went down. I was working out at my friend's house and I was about to leave while the game was playing and saw around maybe it was the fifth inning that this no hitter was going on. And I said, hey, I can't leave this seat right now. So I stayed the entire game. Uh, I was by myself because they're not Mets fans, but I turned on the game, saw that he was pitching and I said, I can't move here. And especially after Mike Baxter made that amazing catch, I was definitely not leaving that seat so that's awesome i think santana is going to be at old timers day but i know a couple other participants that are definitely attending daryl strawberry will be in attendance pedro martinez and doc gooden probably participating i don't think strawberry's participating in the game but pedro martinez and doc gooden should be participating let's look at these three met legends daryl strawberry as a new york met i mean the guy hit 252 home runs 733 rbis and batted 263 on base percentage of 359 a slugging of 520 and an OPS of O of 878 he throughout the 80s through eight years from it was I think it was 1984 to 1990 was just a force in that Mets lineup. You wish that they continued. And his partner, Doc Gooden, who was with him through most of that time, Doc Gooden spent more years with the Mets. He spent about 11 seasons with the Mets, going 157 and 85 with an ERA of 310 and about 8. 1,800 strikeouts, a little over that, 1,875. I mean, those two were just amazing on the Mets, and if they could have only stayed out of the trouble that came towards them, who knows? They could be in the Hall of Fame as New York Mets right now. They could have finished their career as Mets, but, you know, what's past is past. We're happy to have them. They're in the Mets Hall of Fame, and it's great to see them Every time we get to, I know we got to see him in 2006 when they did the 20th anniversary, we saw the 30th anniversary, and it's always great having them with their so beloved with that 86 team. Also talk about Pedro Martinez. He only had a short time with the New York Mets, but it was very productive. He kind of turned around the team with him and Pedro Martinez signing in 2005. He was only here for four years, 32 and 23 with a 3.88 ERA. His best year was 2015 when he went 15 and 8 with a 2.82 ERA. He started off 2006 well, but he just could not stay healthy following that. And uh, what could have been in 2006 with him in the rotation in the playoffs, we'll never know. It's a lot of what ifs, but um, it's great to see these guys coming out. I'm really going to enjoy being at Old Timers Day. I will be there. Let me know if you're going to be there and we can meet up and uh, talk about what's going on in the Mets world. I'll also be at the Keith Hernandez game um, and I hope to see you all there. And that will wrap up this show. Follow Subway to Shea on Twitter and Instagram at Subway to Shea.
Listen to the show on Anchor.fm, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Pocket Casts. Turn on those notifications to never miss an episode of Subway to Shea. If you're a new listener to this podcast, welcome. Thanks for joining us, and I hope you consider subscribing on any of those platforms I just mentioned. Also, make sure to share it with your fellow Met fans. Let them know this is the Mets podcast to listen to. I enjoy every one of you. And if you've been a supporter this whole entire time, I can't thank you enough. This show wouldn't be where it is without you today. You guys keep me going each and every week. And what's great about Subway to Shea is it's global. This podcast is not only played in the United States, but also has reaches across the globe. No matter where you listen, please take a few minutes to write me a review and let me know what you think of the show, what you like, what you don't like. I want to make this show better each and every week. So by going on Apple Podcasts, leaving me a rating from one to five stars, hopefully you're giving me five stars, and by leaving comments in the review section, it could help me to help this show become better every week. And you can also rate the show on Spotify. That's a feature on there as well. I don't know if you can leave comments, but you could definitely rate the show on Spotify. Don't forget to follow my work for Rising Apple. Rising Apple is a New York Mets site on the fan-sided network. You can read my articles by going to risingapple.com or checking out the links in the description of this week's podcast episode. I did an article on Eduardo Escobar needing to heat up the bat, and ever since I've done that, He's been hitting pretty well, so kudos to me on that one. Also, David Peterson. I did an article on David Peterson about how, you know, he's proving doubters wrong. I know he had a rough start, his last start, but before that, he's pitched very well and has come through for the Mets, and I wrote that piece on him. So you can read both of them, the Escobar one, the Peterson one. I'm going to leave those also in the description of this week's podcast and all my articles where you can find them as well. Make sure to follow Rise. Apple on Twitter at Rising Apple Blog and also the Fan Sided Network at Fan Sided. This was a fun podcast, guys. I really enjoyed it. I hope you enjoy it. Thank you for everyone that tuned in. I appreciate you all so very much, and that will do it. Always remember to listen, subscribe, share, and review. For Anthony Rivera, you've been listening to Subway to Shea. Let's go, Mets. <laughs>